This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. We are often sad and suffer a lot when things change, but change and impermanence have a positive side. Thanks to impermanence, everything is possible. Life life itself is possible. If a grain of corn is not impermanent, it cannot be transformed into the stalk of corn. If the stalk were not impermanent, it can never provide us with the ear of corn we eat. If your daughter is not impermanent, she cannot grow up to become a woman. Then your grandchildren would never manifest. So instead of complaining about impermanence, we should say a warm welcome and long live impermanence. We should be happy. We should see the miracle of impermanence. Our sadness and suffering will pass. The reading of scripture from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with the ancestors when I took them from the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it, write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and I shall be their people, and they, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another to say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be God. The Holy Gospel according to John chapter 12, verses 20 to 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. 
The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that the darkness may not overtake you. If you, walk in the, if you walk in the darkness, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. After Jesus had said this, he departed and hid from them. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. So it is one of my favorite times of the year, March. I love March for a lot of reasons. Spring is in the air. Baseball is around the corner. Spring training is happening. Opening day is coming soon. It's my birthday month. Yes. St. Patrick's Day. And of course, March Madness. So I filled out a bracket and entered a few contests. And in a couple of these contests, if you fill out a perfect bracket, you'd win a million dollars. So I thought, well, might as well try. Of course, no one's ever done that. But you know, you can dream a little. Well, as the games were happening on Thursday, the first round, uh, the first games were going my way. I thought, okay, this is a good start. Uh, but then the games kept going my way, and suddenly I had the first eight games right, then the first nine, first 10, 11, 12, first 13 games right. I thought, well, this is a good start, you know. If you want to be perfect, you got to keep, keep going. Um, but then uh, Buffalo had to beat Arizona, and there it went. And, of course, who picked... UMBC, the first ever 16 seed to beat a number one seed after 135 tries. But the odds, they say, of making a perfect bracket are one in nine quintillion, which is, I believe, uh, six more zeros than a trillion. Well, whenever I encounter a difficult calculation involving lots of numbers and maybe some higher level math, I'm quick to remind people that I was an English major, not a math major. Although growing up, I was all right at math and enjoyed math, even won a few math contests in middle school. But then I got to college and had my first calculus class and got lost quickly, and that was the end of my math career. But I still know that you get something by, get more of something by addition or multiplication. That's just basic math, and even I can understand that. And I can also understand that the later you stay up, the less sleep you get. <laughs> I, I did an experiment last night just to test that theory, and it turns out it's still true. Yet in our text today, Jesus implies that we can actually add by subtraction. How can less lead to more? Well, Jesus says a few uh, potentially hard-to-understand things in our text today, such as, if you love your life, you'll lose it. If you hate it, then you can have it forever. What? <laughs> that sounds like a bad equation, like a story problem gone horribly wrong. If you love your life, you'll lose it. If you hate it, you'll get to have it forever. Uh, no thanks. 
You know, I'd rather have a life I love, even for a little while, than a life I hate that just keeps going. So what is going on here? Well, let's probe a little more deeply. First off, we notice that Jesus doesn't just say those who hate their life will keep it forever. He says those who hate their life in this world. Well, what does he mean by that? Richard Rohr notes that when the New Testament, particularly the Gospel of John, speak of the world, it doesn't simply mean creation or the planet or nature, which are all good things, of course. Rather, it refers to what we might call the system. The system. Or even the filthy, rotten system. The one that doesn't care for creation, the planet, or nature. The one that celebrates the individual at the expense of the whole. The one that devises structures that benefit the very few at the cost of the many. The world in the Bible is the system that constantly rewards the false self. Well, what is the false self? The false self might be equated with our egos, our titles, with our outward station in life, our appearance, all the things that are kind of easily identifiable and celebrated in society. Now, these are not bad things by any means, right? But they're not the whole thing. Maybe not even the main thing. Because underneath all those things, underneath your job, your occupation, your place in school, your age, or your relationship status, is you. A human being. Your deepest truth and true self are beyond those outward forms. And while society is geared toward cultivating and developing and celebrating the outward forms, could it be that what we're actually here for is the discovery of our souls? Of our true selves? And that, Jesus says, is a journey of subtraction. A journey where less can lead to more. Both Jesus and Buddha point to an essential renouncing of this false self. A subtraction, a foundational death of the ego. Because the dying to self really is at the heart of the spiritual journey. A brief example, I was running a few errands yesterday, including bringing returnables back, uh, bottles and cans and stuff. And when you give up beer for Lent, it turns out you have less bottles and cans to return, but we still had a few, mostly LaCroix. And when you're bringing returnables back to Meyer or Family Fair, what do you hope not to see? A big line, right? Somebody with garbage bags full of cans, right? They've just been stocking up like a squirrel all winter to bring these returnables, and they waited till right before you got there to decide now was a good time. It's amazing how that can happen. Uh, but I got there, and there wasn't a line. Good. Because, you know, when you're doing multiple errands, you kind of just want to keep doing them. Uh, so I was able to get my cans returned, and then I'm waiting at the service desk to cash in, but there, there was a line. I was like, okay, you can do this. 
lines. It's moving a little bit, but then finally it's my turn, and right before me is a mom and her little boy, and they order some balloons. I didn't even know you could order balloons at family fair. And of course, the person there doing the balloons, I'm not sure how often he's done that. So it's taking a little while, and I'm just kind of ready to keep doing my chores, whatever, errands. And it's so easy to find ourselves in a spot like that and be like, why can't they hurry this up? Don't they see I've got, this guy's about to give me some money and then I'm going to leave and go do other things. And then I was like, you're going to preach a sermon tomorrow on dying to the self. Why don't you just <laughs> take a deep breath and pause. And when we're in that moment, and, and it really was just this sort of mental recognizing of that sort of need for me to have my way and just... A moment to pause and step back and wonder, what's happening with this family? Who are they bringing these balloons to? Maybe a sister, maybe it's a birthday, maybe it's somebody in the hospital. And then I start looking around and people are shopping and doing their things and there's a whole huge world happening all the time. That's not me. In our reading, Thich Nhat Hanh, in our words of integration and guidance, spoke of the power of impermanence to turn a single grain of corn into a stalk and eventually multiple ears of corn. And likewise, Jesus uses an agricultural image of a grain of wheat. Now, the ancients differentiated between two different kinds of wheat, wild wheat and domesticated wheat. Wild wheat was often used by nomadic people. It would just kind of spread its seed freely through the air and grow where it grew. But it kind of was sporadic, and you couldn't always count on it. And it didn't have quite the sustenance of domesticated wheat. But it didn't require any people to do anything in terms of planting and all of that. But domesticated or bred wheat, which produced a better crop in the right conditions, this was so heavy and tight in the head that you actually had to break it up intentionally to plant it for new wheat to grow. And this function of breaking up and distributing the wheat grains generally fell to women. And so Jesus is using a feminine metaphor to talk about the heart of the spiritual life. And he's reminding us that this process doesn't happen accidentally or by itself, but that we have to break up the grain of our lives. We have to be willing to be broken up and planted and buried in the ground so that life can break forth. We add by subtracting. The poet Mark Nepo tells the story of an up-and-coming poet who was full of inspiration and excitement, and he couldn't wait to be somebody, somebody whose, people, whose name people knew, whose poems people recited. People whose phone just rang off the hook because they couldn't wait to connect. And he tells this little story, and this story is followed by a few sort of meditation uh, exercises. So I'm going to invite you as I read the story, it's a brief story, to just enter into a space where you're just here and try to hear the story, and then I'm going to go into a couple of those uh, meditation exercises. After a large snowfall, a young poet came to my door. He seemed a younger version of myself. After a while, he finally asked about greatness and fame. He was wild-eyed, and underneath, underneath everything everyone had told him to strive for, I could see his snow-like soul. So I said, let's go for a walk. 
I put on my boots as my dog jumped in the car, and we drove to a pine forest that few knew of. He talked the whole way. We hiked the perimeter at first, and I listened until he ran out of words. Our steps slowed, and I hoped he would see that we were on a path that someone had cleared before he was born. My dog kept running ahead, then looking back to make sure we were coming. Now neither of us said a word. When we entered the rows of 60-foot pines, we could hear the tops creak. And I hoped he would see that we were in a forest that someone had planted long before I was born. My dog led us off the path till we came upon a cross made of broken limbs and staked between the pines. It was covered with snow. The way pain, if left in the open, is softened by prayer. It seemed obvious that we would never know who had staked the cross or who had planted the pines or who had cleared the path. Our cold breath clouded and merged. And I smiled deeply to know that this is how it is. On the way back, I was lost in the crunch of my boots in the snow. When I stopped, he was 50 yards back, watching me get smaller. It was then I knew he understood. So I turned and kept walking into the white field that covered all names. Breathe calmly and know that the air that keeps you alive remains unseen. Breathe slowly and know that the wind that lifts an eagle gets no applause. Breathe deeply and know that the light that makes the corn grow gets no award. Sit quietly and reflect on something worthwhile that you have done that no one knows about. Know what this feels like. Feel your kinship to the air that keeps you alive, the wind that lifts, and the light that makes things grow. Breathe deeply and feel the center of your being that lives below all names. Our egos center on me. I need this. I need that. I am this. I am that. A Sufi poet has said, if there is anything which divides us from the beloved and from each other, it is the veil of ego. When we learn to let go of ourselves, we begin to actually see other people. We begin to realize we're connected to everything and that God is present in every moment. And this letting go is a kind of death. And this death can lead to an awakening. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, there's some practices, I think, that can help us let go. 
The world or the system we referred to earlier celebrates performance and production. Do more, be more. Richard Rohr notes that every time we sit in silence, we refuse to produce and perform. And in such a practice of silence, we can allow the false self to be seen for what it is. And we can ground ourselves in God and begin to discover more of the true self within. We can also let go by reading history and realizing our small place in the grand expanse of human and cosmic history. We can let go by gazing at the stars in wonder. We can let go by opening our hearts to all that exists. We let go by embracing impermanence and our own mortality. When you are willing to die, willing to let go, you suddenly become alive. And you also become the kind of person who's willing to take risks for others. You become, as Jesus noted, the kind of person who's willing to lay down her life for her friends. Which is why the greatest saints and prophets have been those willing to speak out, to speak up, and to take on the world and the system. Because they are unwilling to tolerate when any one of us is suffering. Because when any one of us is suffering, all of us are suffering. Because we're all part of the same fabric, the same human family. Some of us watched a movie Friday night which featured the story of a young man who was taken from the Philippines and brought to the U.S. as a 12-year-old without papers and without process, as some would say, illegally. And because of our inhumane system, 20 plus years later, he's still never been reunited with his mother. What kind of a system is that? Certainly not one that values human lives and human flourishing. And when we become awake to these realities and have gone through or are trying to go through this process of dying, we begin to ask ourselves, am I willing to put my neck on the line for someone else? Am I willing to be awake to the realities of those who are suffering, imprisoned, detained, deprived of the basic necessities of life? A world and a system that's centered on ego, on the self, on the temporary, on the convenient, will not lead us to peace, to wholeness, to the kingdom of God. And isn't that peace what we're all longing for? Peace of mind, peace in our hearts, peace with each other, peace in our world, to be fully alive. And according to Jesus, the best way to live, the way to be the most alive is to be willing to die. Amen. Namaste.
invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Thank you.